Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us with another episode of Top Doc Podcast. My name is Justin, your host today, and uh, we have a special guest with us. Robert, how doing are you great. doing? Thank you. Good to be with you, Justin. I appreciate you for taking time for this. Uh, if you could introduce yourself and who you serve with, that yeah, would be I'm great. I'm Robert Scoggin. I'm the CEO for Top Doc Medical, a sister company of Top Doc uh, RX and uh, Top Doctor Magazine. And I served in the Marine Corps. I was a major in the Marine Corps when I retired and um, enjoy working here at Top Doc Medical. Uh, I, I, know, I know you spent some time in service. Could you tell us who you were with and uh, how many years you spent there? Uh, yes, yeah, so I went in in 1982 uh, while I was in college. I was recruited um, basically like a pamphlet in the mail, I think, when I came home after my freshman year in college. Uh, had always pictured myself as going into the military if I, you know, if there was a war or something going on and my dad had served and had other family members serve, but at that point in time really wasn't thinking about it. And, uh, anyway, I got the brochure, said I could go into the Marine Corps. I could be a officer in the Marine Corps, uh, cause I was going to college and, uh, it was basically, uh, it was, it was one of the scariest things I ever thought about doing. And, um, uh, so I couldn't turn it down. So I, it was like I was going to kick myself the rest of my life if I didn't take on that challenge. And so that got me involved, and I got uh, went to uh, you know do medical stuff during that uh, enlist for the officer training. And uh, that summer, the following summer, I uh, did basically officer boot camp. It's called uh, OCS or Officer Candidate School. That's in Quantico, Virginia, and. Um, then went back, uh, so that was after my sophomore year, and then after my junior year in college, and went back again. Uh, it was split into two different summers, and uh, and that's basically what uh, if, if people uh, are wondering what officer candidate school is like. It's basically any any time you've seen movies about boot camp, those are typically the, the uh, enlisted boot camps <clears throat> for the Marine Corps or Army. Very, very similar, slightly different uh, edge um, pushing towards um, development officers, but it's very, very similar uh, and just as tough. And um, basically, uh, the, the only difference is they're there to screen and evaluate us, and they let us know that constantly. They're not there to train us, and that's a little different from the enlisted side. Most, most of the recruits, 90-some uh, percent, make it through the enlisted, but only about 40% uh, make it through. OCS because, uh, like they said, they're they're there to try to get rid of as many of us as possible uh, because eventually we will be leading uh, Marines and most of the people training us were enlisted personnel who knew eventually they were going to put us in, into the Corps and we were going to be in a position of leadership where we were, might be leading them or friends of theirs. So they were very uh, um gung-ho about getting rid of as many uh, people as possible so that they only kept the best. Wow. So you said only 40% make yeah, it through. Either or decide to go in wow. after they go through the training uh, for whether it be medical or they just choose not to go in or, and it wasn't their cup of tea or they got uh, pushed out. It's crazy. I never knew that. And I, I want to go back a little bit. Um, to, to right before you went in, how did you tell your friends and families that you were going to enlist? Uh, well, I, I, 
I'm trying to think back. Uh, it wasn't like one big announcement. I guess it was, it was during the summer between, you know, so, you know, I told my parents they were, you know, very supportive of it. Then eventually uh, I was back in my hometown. Uh, I went to college out of state about 600 miles away in Tennessee and I was in Virginia. So, you know, I told the friends that were still back at home, uh, friends I knew from high school, uh, eventually made it back to college, which is where my, you know, that was my contemporary group of friends at the time. And uh, I was in a fraternity and uh, very active on campus and uh, student government. And uh, anyway, went back there and um, told them I was going to there. I got a lot of your crazies. Um, yeah. What do you, th- what are you thinking? What are you, th- what were you thinking? Uh, yeah. but, uh, I was all, you know, like I said, from the minute I decided I was going to do it, it was like, okay, I'm, I, w- I wasn't, I wasn't looking at it to see if I liked it. I had already decided that's what I was going to do. So. Nobody could change um, your mind. They tried though. Those, those drill instructors <laughs> tried. <laughs> oh man. Well, you made it through, which is awesome. So, you know, of course, and you touched on this a little bit about how, you know, the movies focus more on the enlisted and not so much on OCS, uh, you know, going in, what were your expectations like? Uh, well, I think this is pretty universal, at least among the other uh, candidates that went through with me and then other people I've talked to through the years. Um, you've seen it, you go, oh, I, well, I can handle that. I can handle that. You know, it's like. You're, you're not blind to, you know, it's especially Marine Corps boot camp, what it's known for and legendary and so on and so forth. So you're, you're, uh, aware of it. You're, uh, respectful of it, but you still think, well, yeah, but you know, I, I can do this. And I remember they flew us into Washington DC and threw us on a bus, took us down to Quantico, which is a couple hour drive. And, um, it's like everyone was like uh, shooting the breeze and having a good time, and smoking and joking on the on the bus, and then we start we pull into base and everyone starts getting a little tense. And then all of a sudden, you the bus comes to a stop and that drill instructor comes on like a storm, like a hurricane blowing through the thing. And all of a sudden, like everyone's jaws just dropped, and it was like then we were saying what our friend said, and like what the hell did I do this for? What if you could predict your health 10 years down the road? What if by predicting your health, you could extend your life? What would you do to have just one more day even with loved ones? Hi, my name is John, and after I lost my mother unexpectedly in 2019, I set out on a mission to give everyone a better chance to enjoy a longer, healthier, and happier lifestyle. With our new DX machine, Doctors can literally combine tried and true medical equipment with modern machine learning algorithms to paint a vivid picture of what the health of a patient will look like for the next 5 to 10 years. Knowledge is power. And for the first time, we now have the knowledge to empower a patient to make lifestyle choices that meaningful impact both longevity and quality of life. So let me ask you, would you die for your loved ones? Then why not live for them as well? Go to top.dx. Come to learn more and schedule a complimentary demo. And to make this offer even more compelling, the equipment and system is free to you and your patients. This product is taking off fast and medical practices that embrace it are outpacing local competitors. Don't lose any time scheduling your demo. Your practice may depend on it, but more importantly, someone's life certainly does. Great. Yeah. So I would love to ask, 
Um, and you touched on it a little bit already, but as soon as you got off that bus, what was that experience like? Uh, just they they had you going a mile a minute. You know, you everything you did was wrong. Everything you did was crappy. Yelling, screaming, all the normal stuff. Herding you, herding you up in lines. Hit, sending you over here to pick up these supplies, get these supplies. Sending you through the barber to get your head shaved, which is the strangest feeling in the world for the first time when you reach up and touch your head and it's bald, pretty much. <laughs> um, so just getting all all your gear and just a lot of standing and waiting and being yelled at, and um, then finally they throw you in these old. We were out at. Uh, a camp on Quantico, Camp Upshur. It actually looked like, if you ever seen Gomer Pyle USMC, those Quonset huts, uh, mm-hmm. that's what it looked like. It still had, it, it's a, basically was an unused base, but they were using it for training at that time. But uh, yes, yeah, so we go in those Quonset huts. Tell you how scared we were that night. So you got, these are all guys, you know, we're in anywhere from first to second year in college. So we're pretty much grown men and uh, mm-hmm. all leaders and all this stuff. And uh, they had these fans in the Kwanzaa huts and uh, no air conditioning, of course. Um, but the fans weren't on. So finally, it's lights out. The, the drill instructor leaves and, and all his minions. And uh, it's just deathly quiet. We're all just exhausted and our heads are spinning and we're sweating to death. And... Uh, not a single person got up during the night and turned on those fans because everyone was scared to get up. And uh, yeah, <laughs> really? and then of course what happens in the morning, the DI comes in and is yelling and screaming at us how stupid and how big of wimps we were because we didn't turn on the fans. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but that shows you our state of mind. <laughs> you know, For everyone's sure, just yeah. There, just, oh. Everyone's wide awake. No one can sleep. It's so hot. You can't breathe hardly. And no one, no one will get out of their rack. Nobody no, wanted no to move. And uh, wow. so they, they basically, it's, it's a lot of physical stuff, just like you would expect. You've seen, like I said, on TV or whatever. Uh, there's a lot of leadership. Uh, the, basically, they rotate you through uh, different billets, as they call them. So the one, one every two or three days, you might be the platoon sergeant of your group, or you might be just a a fire team leader, you know, further down. The, so you're playing roles. You're play, you might be playing the role of a, uh, a private, a Lance Corporal Sergeant, sometimes the platoon commander, um, sometimes a company commander. So there's, there's like four companies training all at once together. And so they basically have the cadets run them. So there wasn't an actual platoon commander. It was always one of us rotating. Then you had the the drill instructors and and et cetera, who were evaluate constantly evaluating and letting you know in your face, how crappy you were doing. Oh, nice. That's nice of them. Yeah. There weren't a lot of uh, flowers and chocolates and you're doing a great job. It was just basically, yeah, basically put you under pressure. So they, and they, that's why nothing, you know, a lot of guys, some of the guys that, you know, checked out, they were like, I don't understand why we're doing this. None of this stuff makes any sense. Like what we just, you know, we moved this pile of crap over here. Now we're moving back over here or whatever, you know, but it's actually more complicated than that. But it just seemed like a lot of nonsense, but it was the purpose of it. Wasn't 
what you were doing. The purpose of it was to frustrate you and put pressure on you and confuse you and see how you react. So they had okay. you do a lot of nonsensical stuff and a lot of stuff that just seemed. And then you know that graduated over time as as we had more training, we'd get more. It'd get more tactical and um, more in depth, but kind of the same atmosphere the whole time. For sure. And one thing I hear too with between Marine basic and officer training school is with the enlisted, you know, they train you more to follow orders, not to think, but with OCS, they train you to think and, and, and to lead those that way. So is there a drastic difference in how they're training you and how they're treating you during that process? Um, well, I think there is, I mean, there's a very, you know, it's going to be a certain base commonality throughout the whole thing because we're all being trained the, the enlisted people who were training at the exact same time I was were going to be in my platoon eventually, and we'd, we'd be accomplishing the same mission. But yes, there are there's different roles. And so, yes, it, leadership was definitely emphasized. Um, and um, that's what the focus is on. I obviously I've never there are people who have done both, you know, who've gone enlist their prior enlisted who gotten out and now or went to college or what have you, now went into officer training. There's a few of those around, and they obviously had a, you know, a head start when they went in. But uh, but having spoken to them, yes, it is different, uh, but I never experienced it. So it's hard for me to compare the two since I, I never uh, got the exact training. So it's mostly secondhand information. But uh a lot of the details the same, you know, cleaning your boots, cleaning your rack, you know, yelling and screaming, DIs everywhere. Uh, but yeah, you're 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 trained. They were being trained to be what they were going to start out as, which is uh, you know, private or uh, lance corporal. Um, once they got in, we were training. Like I said, you might, you know, it would be years before any of us would be a. a I mean, excuse me, a, a company commander or, or something like that, or <clears throat> battalion adjutant or whatever. But you're training to do all those things during officer candidate school because they're putting you they're putting you in those roles that not only the the role of a platoon commander that which you would be once you got out should you make it through, but positions that you may hold later. But you're also training as the enlisted man too. So you know, again, you you know. Every three days, one day I might be performing the functions of a lance corporal as a fire team leader, or I might be performing the function of a corporal as a squad leader, or might be the function of a platoon sergeant as a, which would be a staff sergeant level um, position. So it's quite a variety. Great. Thank you so much, Robert. And remind me, how many years did you serve? Well, I went in in eighty one and did my training during college for three years and then uh once i went active duty i was on active duty for another four years and then um another three years in reserve active reserves afterwards wow well thank you so much for your service and during all that time did you ever deploy uh yeah quite a number of times uh during peacetime, we went on a uh, called a Westpac. It's Western Pacific uh, deployment. It's uh, six months. Uh, be a usually a 
battalion size, the beefed up battalion size uh, organization sent out on uh, a flotilla or armada of ships that would be floating around the Pacific on, because I was with 1st Marine Division out of Camp Pendleton, California. And um, whereas 2nd Marine Division, they would deploy to, they're in um, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. They deployed to the Mediterranean for six-month deployments. So basically there's a, a contingency of Marines always floating, uh, we call it floating, but, uh, you know, on deployment um, in those zones that there could be trouble. And so mm -hmm. basically as we're going out, there's another one coming back and we cross them halfway across the Pacific, we're on our way out there. They just finished up and they're, and you rotate through every year and a half. So you got six months deployed, uh, six months back to regroup and uh, six months to train for the next deployment and then six months out again. So we went, we went so, to a few, uh... So we went all over the Pacific, the Philippines a number of times, Japan, Hong Kong, um, Thailand, et cetera, a lot of other places, Korea. Wow. Yeah, that was my question. I was going to ask how much of the world you got to see through that. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the Pacific because of who I was stationed with. <clears throat> and then, um, then, of course, you have smaller deployments for shorter periods of time, lots of those. But um, And then uh, during the... First Gulf War, um, we uh, we were sent over. I was sent over to the advance party for uh, First Marine Division and uh, deployed for the Desert Storm, as they called it back then. And uh, went in early August, about five or six days after Saddam invaded. We went over to try to secure. Um, some uh, locations and shipping and um, <clears throat> airport access for the 1st Marine Division to deploy. <clears throat> and so I was there from August uh, through the end of the Desert Storm phase and then through the ground war, uh, Desert Sword. Right, well, thank you so much for sharing. And to fast forward a little bit, when it came time to leave the military, what was that process like? Uh, well, you know, at that point in time, I was, uh, I had had a previous law degree um, before I went into the Marine Corps. And so I decided to um, go in that direction. I was, I was infantry while I was in the Marine Corps, but uh, did not practice. So I went into that. So I had a, it was kind of predetermined for me. I didn't have a lot of wondering what I was going to do. You know, I was out, study for the bar exam, take the bar exam, get a job <laughs> at some law firm somewhere. Um, yeah. So, um, which is what I did. So, oh, That's great. So you, you kept yourself busy. Oh, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, going off of that, uh, what advice would you give those transitioning out of the military right now? Well, you know, it's, a lot of it's to use the resources that are available to you. Um, and there's, there's tons of resources for Marines uh, transitioning out uh, inside the Marine Corps and also through the VA. Um, so just, and there's lots of uh, local groups of VAs, uh, no matter where you are in the country. And everyone's situation is different as to what they need to go through, what they experienced while they were in, whether they were in combat, whether they weren't. 
Um, and their transition may be different compared to somebody else, but uh, there's tons of resources out there. And I just encourage everyone to reach out and don't get isolated. I think that does happen quite frequently, but um, there's lots of people there to support uh, in that transition if, if people will just take advantage of it. So, Robert, uh, what has your experience been like with the Top Doc family? Oh, it's been outstanding. I uh, work with uh, top-notch professionals uh, throughout many industries. Um, everyone here cares. Everyone has uh, are dedicated to the cause that they're working for. Um, nothing but uh, top-quality people. Um, very positive atmosphere. Uh, very innovative. Uh, always thinking outside the box. Uh, taking advantage of technology and changes in science and and research and making better care available for more Americans across the United States and the globe. Well, thank you so much, Robert. Uh, you know, we really are honored to have you on this show. And, you know, of course, this is a show geared towards the medical community and those interested in medicine and lifestyle. So uh, perhaps you could touch on a little bit about what medical professionals are like in the military um, or perhaps uh, how the medical community is treating veterans now? Well, I think the medical community is doing what it can. Um, obviously, as the drawdown happens in Afghanistan, um, the, the flow of injured, um, both mental and physical injuries is slowing, but they still need the care uh, that they've been receiving that's been set up for them. Uh, there's, again, a lot of support groups uh, for wounded veterans, for veterans who are having problems of PTSD. Um, and uh, my experience with the VA has been generally positive. Um, I've had a lot of experience working with the VA uh, myself personally and friends and family members who have uh, transitioned out of the military and uh, I've, I know I've heard bad stories about the VA, but we've had relatively, uh, most of the people I know, we've had really good experiences. Um, and I know that's changed over the last 10, 15 years, so they've made a lot of improvements, and maybe that's my, been my experience, um, why that is that way. And is there anything you would like to say to medical professionals who are working with veterans, something that they should remember or keep in mind? Well, I just would uh, remind them that, uh, you know, they've been through a unique experience and it may be hard to understand where they're coming from. And it may not be, I, I think it's just a matter of those medical professionals making sure that that veteran is taking advantage of all means necessary to get the proper care. It may be not that if a doctor is treating a veteran for a physical ailment, um, just realize that there may be other underlying medical conditions that uh, on the mental side that they need to be getting treated simultaneously. And so use a group approach and um, cover all the needs of those veterans. Well said. And Robert, again, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And a big thank you to all of our listeners who uh, make this happen on the weekly. And uh, before we go, um, I know Veterans, you know, Veterans Day is coming up. And uh, are there any fallen military friends that you would like to honor on this episode? Well, I'd today? just like to uh, honor uh, 
those members of the First Marine Division who have fallen um, over time and, and more recently in these recent wars. And, um, you know, we were, were able to as a country um, the last 20 years that we've been fighting these, these wars. Um, here in the United States, it's, it's left us relatively untouched. Um, and because we have a professional military and we don't have uh, the draft anymore, a lot of times what's going on overseas with the military isn't really acknowledged. Um, it's like we go about our business in the normal way over here as if there is no war going on. And it's because not as many as a, of us are touched by it on a regular basis. It's only those families who happen to have people in the, in the military um, and just be aware and give them that recognition and that support that they need. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Robert. And uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, do you have any questions for me before uh, no, we go? I'm, I'm good. Thank you. I uh, appreciate the time with you, Justin. Yeah, this was an honor. Thank right. you so much. Good day.